Well, we're going to look at uh, this topic of worship this evening. What comes to mind when you think of this word? Thank you, Tony. Yep. What's that? Honor. Honor. Anyone else? Reverence, pray. Yeah, those are both good. So we're going to look at, uh, we're going to try to answer a few questions and um, this evening. If you take your Bible, turn to John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4. And uh, I'll lower this a little bit. And verse number 5, we'll read a few verses. I'll ask we'll read responsively, not responsibly. But responsibly, I always, uh, we always read responsibly in the church I grew up in. And I always thought he said, let's read responsibly. And uh, I won't, won't make the joke then. Anyways, so we'll read responsibly. So I'll read verse 4, you read verse 5. I'll read it with you, but uh, we'll read verse, verse 5 together. I'll read verse 6. We'll read verse 7 together and so on and so forth. we got to get room for all the Zane. Brother Zane, can you change the slides as we go? Okay, I'm just going to get rid of this iPad. All right, John chapter number 4, verse number 5 says, and we're going to read verse 6 together. All right, ready? Okay, here we go. Those in the Sunday school, you know, we do this all the time, but those that are not in the young adult Sunday class, to get there. Anyways, all right. Verse number 5, or yeah, verse 5 of chapter 4 says, Then cometh he, this is speaking of Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jew have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it, it said, Give me to drink, thou would have asked me, and he would have given thee living water. Sorry. Verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself? his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband. And come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when Ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. Ye know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. 
But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Over alert. All right. Um, so we know this passage well, right? This is the woman at the well. Many uh, songs, stories, probably sermons from this passage. And uh, we won't get into some of the uh, cultural differences of why it was such a big deal that Jesus is speaking to this woman, and different things like that. The main verse we're going to look at today is Jesus is making a, a heavy shift here, right? He says here in verse number 23 that the hour cometh and, it, and now is, right? It's going to come and it's, it's coming quickly when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But the Father seeketh such to worship him. Next slide, Rosanda. we got the four questions we're going to seek to answer tonight. We're going to look at these and we'll pray. Number one, what is worship? How do we worship? Who do we worship? Maybe it's whom. I don't know. I'm an English major. should pay attention better, maybe. Who do we worship and why do we worship? Well, let's pray together and we'll try to uh, see what the scripture says about these things. Father, thank you for the great day you've given to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And thank you that you are worthy of our worship. May we um, draw some truths from the scripture tonight as we look at this topic and delve into this word throughout the entire scripture of this idea, this topic, this teaching of worship. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The English definition of the word worship is worthiness, acknowledgement of worth. The suffix ship, so we have worship, uh, is on the end of lots of words, right? We think of friendship, leadership, other words like that. The word ship means quality or condition. So the quality of being a friend, right? Friendship. The condition of being a leader. Leadership. Uh, the quality of having worth. Worship. This is what the word means, but there is an action involved in this, right? So uh, the Bible says a man that uh, hath friends must, what? Show himself friend, show himself friendly. If you want to be a good friend, you have to uh, be friendly. Sometimes we sit back and think, oh, nobody's my friend. It's like, well, how friendly of a person are you? Right? Sometimes we want to put the ball in everyone else's court of, like, why doesn't anybody do this, that, or this with me? No one invites me over. Uh, why don't you invite somebody else over? Why don't you invite somebody to eat? Why don't you uh, initiate the friendship? Right? There has to be action involved. Um, leadership, right? Uh, there's a quote. If, there, if there's nobody following you, you you're just taking a walk, right? Uh, somebody who's a leader. Um, the English translators here, obviously, they're taking uh, three languages and translating it to English and uh, did a, a very superb job, but... They're trying to portray a complete thought here and a concept that is throughout all of Scripture, not just a singular word. So we don't need to just understand a definition of what the word worship means, but rather understand the teaching and thought given throughout the entirety of Scripture. Uh, complete adoration for who Jesus is and what he has done. That is what worship is. Biblical definition, as we if you pull up these words, these Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic words, um, is to bow down in reverence, to physically get down, right, and to bow down oneself. We'll look at some of those passages in a moment here, but uh, to revere. In other, pla in other places, it's, it's uh, translated as the word serve or service or servant. Uh, in other places, it's whatever is religiously honored, a temples, altars, statues, idolatrous images, right? We have worshipers of Baal, worshipers of gods like Jupiter and Ishtar and Dagon and Diana, right, these different gods. We get to this word, and I, I've, I've never, like, heard this taught on, 
right? I, I'm with Brother Tony. When you think of the word worship, it's kind of like we kind of get this. So even if you Google search the word worship, uh, or I was, looking, I was trying to look for some background images, that's why we got stuck with this, like, we can't see it now, this kind of swirly-looking thing. It's because there weren't really any great images of somebody worshiping. It was just a lot of uh, crowds with maybe hands up, lights, those type of things. And that's what, what maybe we've culturally accepted. And to some, some people, that's what, they, that's what they see as worship and deem as worship. And others, I feel like, because that's how we identify worship, we kind of like, we stay away from that. We stay away from that word. It's a little uncomfortable for us. Uh, but that is not what the Bible defines as worship. Is, and uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So there are 16 different words translated to a form of the word worship, uh, worshiper, worshiping. 16 different words translated this one. So we're going to look at three that are the, the most used. And uh, two of them, uh, every usage is translated to the word worship. worship. So... We look at this first word here. Uh, it's the first, first usage of the word is in Genesis chapter 18, verse number 2. Now, I had uh, previously thought uh, that it was when Abraham, if you look at actually the word worship, when Abraham takes Isaac up to the mountain, he tells the men they are going to stay back, to wait here, and him and Isaac are going to go up to the mountain and worship. But if we look at the Hebrew word, it is used a little further back in Genesis chapter 18, verse number 2. It says, And he lift up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men stood by him. We know this now. As later he calls them, he refers to him as Lord. And I uh, believe this is God here. This is maybe Jesus Christ in a physical form here, uh, showing up to Abraham. But if any, anything else, these are angels, uh, some type of heavenly being showing up to Abraham here. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. Right? This bowed himself, this uh, revered uh, bowed down to these men. This is the same word here uh, as worship. To bow down in reverence. It's translated to bow, bow down, obeisance, reverence, fall down, uh, stoop, crouch. That's the first usage of the word in the Bible. Uh, if you take like a uh, homiletics, we always look at like the first, maybe last usages of words. to kind of see where they are initially introduced in the scripture. The next word here, is, it's, it's used 12 times in the Bible. And part of the reason it's so minimal is because it's only found in the book of Daniel, which would have been written mostly, if not completely, in a different language, in, in Aramaic language. And so these are found in Daniel. And once again, the, uh, all 12 times it is translated to the word worship. It's used when Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream in Daniel chapter 2. I think I have that verse there, Brother Zane. Daniel chapter 2, verse 46, it says, Then the king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Next word we see is in the Bible 60 times. This is in the New Testament. The first one we looked at was the Old Testament. The second one is Old Testament. This one is the word in the New Testament. All 60 times it's translated to the word worship. It's by kneeling or prostration to do homage to one or make obeisance, whether in order to express respect or to make supplication. Among the Orientals, especially the Persians, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead is an expression of profound reverence. The first usage we see of this in the New Testament is when the wise men come to see Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 2. It says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Some practical thoughts here. A good definition um, of, the good, of the word worship that I found today is, Worship is the soul bowing itself in adoring contemplation before the object, the object worship. To worship God is to bow before God in adoring contemplation of himself to bow before God, adoring who he is, being overwhelmed, and to contemplate who God is. 
a few things here. Worshippers always approach that which they are worshiping with submission, right? This is part of the act of worshiping, is that we bow ourselves down, right? We see in all these stories and in many more throughout Scripture, somebody bends the knee or they put their face on the ground, right? This is the act of worship. They, they show a sign of submission. They are kind of giving up, right? They are, they are showing complete uh, submission, surrender, whatever you want to put on it, right? They are not coming to fight. They're not coming to put any hands up or walls up. They are bowing down before this individual and submitting themselves and telling this individual that they are, a, they are in an authoritative position over them. Uh, Genesis 18, 2, Abraham calls the person he is worshiping Lord, right? It gives him a, a title of, of master, somebody that is over him. And Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face to Daniel. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's the king, right? And probably uh, one of, if, the not, if not the most uh, powerful man in the world at this point, and he bows down to this man, Daniel, showing um, that Daniel, he's, he's showing uh, su submission to Daniel in this, in this sense, because Daniel answered these, these dreams that Nebuchadnezzar had had. Matthew 2, these wise men uh, come to Jesus. What do they do? They call him king of the Jews. There's, they're looking for this king there. Once again, showing that Jesus is in a superior position above them, and they make obeisance. They bow down. They physically get down to worship Jesus. The act of bowing oneself down to another shows a physical position of submission. Why do we kneel, lay down on our faces, or bow our heads when we pray? We're showing a place of submission to God. It is the awe of God and his worthiness to be worshipped. We look in all three of these passages, and then in um, other passages throughout the scripture, we won't get into all of them, just a few of them, worship is often and very commonly followed by service. We see in Genesis 18, Abraham gets these guys that come, angels. I had to call them guys because it's probably, the, it's probably God in physical flesh, so these heavenly beings come. and Because uh, remember, they go down, two of them go down, they go to Sodom, and they check it out, and uh, then Sodom gets fire rained down. Well, Abraham's talking to one of them, trying to get them, you know, trying to... Um, uh, negotiate with him to uh, save the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So that's, but, but, but when they come, these three men come, Abraham makes them a meal, right? He, he does some things for them. Uh, Daniel 2, Daniel's promoted to the highest position in the land uh, under just the king. The wise men bring gifts to Jesus. And then Joshua chapter 5, verse 4, uh, verse 14 says, and he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. So remember this, uh, this, this, a guy comes to Joshua, right, and he's once again, a, uh, I believe, a theophany or a Christophany, a physical form of Jesus or of God in, in flesh coming to Joshua, right? So he says here, and he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant, right? He's putting himself in a place of submission, and he says, what can I do to serve you? Right? This is the, the, the pattern, the equation of worship as we submit ourselves to God and we see what service can we do. We don't just assume he is worthy of us giving him our life. We bring our life to him and offer it to him. Right? We don't just think, like, hey, God, you can do whatever you want with my life. No, we, we physically bring our life, our time, our talents, our efforts, our desires, and we come and we kneel before him. We physically get down right, and we offer our life. Uh, Romans says it this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Our reasonable service comes from true worship. A worshiper presents themselves ready for whatever the service, whatever the service the king might have for them. 
True worship yields true service. When we truly worship God and we submit to him, we realize his power, his Godhead, right? We can't help but say, do whatever you want with my life. Here it is. True worship yields true service. I think of the song, I am happy in the service of the king, right? I'm happy, oh so happy, right? When we come to God and we worship him and we say, what would you have me do with my life? We think of Paul, right? What does he say? What wilt thou have me to do, right? Uh, the, the light shines down as bright as the noonday sun upon Paul. Saul at the time, uh, Saul, Saul, is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And Saul says, what wilt thou have me to do? And we see here, we should be ha- when we come to God and we come to Jesus and worship him, we can't help but come and say, okay, what would you want with my life? We realize his power, his Godhead, his authority, and we can't help but say, here's my life, take it, because you are in charge, and I'm worshiping you, I'm showing you a sign uh, uh, that I'm, I revere you, and that I want you to do with whatever you will with my life. If you're struggling in service, worship God. If you feel burnt out, and your focus for service is for man. Uh, it can be a good man, it could be a bad man, it could be uh, for a, an establishment. But if you feel burnt out in life, and you find the, the good things even that you're doing are focused on, you're doing them because you're trying to look good in other people's sights, or you don't want to let this person down, or because maybe even respect this person, they asked you to do it. But if it's man-focused, worship God and realign your service. Does that mean I just cut out everything out of my life and just stop doing things because I've done them for man-centered reasons? No. You realign your focus and do them for God-centered reasons. Sometimes this means you need to do less, though. Sometimes this means you need to do more. Uh, some things in life are so man-centered, we do them for only the re- completely for men and mankind, especially sometimes in, in church and work and things like that, that we miss the boat, that we've uh, stopped doing them for the Lord. And so maybe those are things that need to be stepped away from. And probably in more cases, we need to add things to our life that we do for the Lord. If you don't serve, worship God and serve him. We can't help if we come to God in true worship and true understanding of who he is and who we are. That we can't help but say, take my life and let it be, as the song says. Service to God is often, if not mostly, selfless service to others. Say, well, how do I serve God? I think by obeying him. But we see the two commandments Jesus gives that are just akin to each other and right along the lines of each other that they almost are inseparable, if not inseparable, is to love God and love others, right? First John talks about if you, if you hate your brother, uh, the love of God is not in you, right? You can't, love, you can't say, well, I love God and hate your brother. Like, those things don't work, right? Does, does sweet water come out of bitter water? Does, does, does this plant grow this type of fruit? Well, of course not, right? You can't say, I love God and hate your brother. And on the flip side, you can't really truly love your brother unless you have a relationship with God. Jesus is seeking worshipers and laborers. Now, we see in John 4, as we read, but the hour cometh. And now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. We see in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Those that worship Jesus will serve Jesus. I think these are the same type of crowd in John chapter 4 where he's calling people to worship him. And in, Ma- and in Matthew chapter 9, where he's calling people to serve him and labor for him in the harvest. This is the same crowd. He wants people to worship him, and the response to worship is service. So that's what worship is. How do we worship? Much of the New Testament, 
uh, much of the New Testament's referencing to worship is negative. It speaks of the vain worship from the religious Jewish elite. This crowd, much like they uh, did most of the law, they traditionalized worship to specific actions that they did rather than a heart of worship. Right? We see Jesus condemning this crowd of Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes uh, over and over and over again, giving them uh, very uh, bad names, right? Tell, so, telling them they're, they're like a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones. They're like snakes, right, full of poison. Uh, really is uh, very hard on this crowd of Pharisees and Sadducees. Why? Because he knows their heart, and he, they, they live a life of so-called worship. They've set up these standards in their life that they say, I'm a good Jewish person, I'm a good, I'm a religious person, I'm a good person, period, because I adhere to the standards that I created for myself and told you that these make a person a good person. All right? I know this may be hard to follow. So I heard somebody say one time that the more they did a certain Christian action, it was a good thing, that they never met anybody who fell who did this thing regularly. And then in turn, they would talk about how much they did that thing. They were never correlated, but it was just intriguing to me that a proposition was set to say, hey, people that fall into sin, or I've never seen anybody fall into sin that did this thing regularly. And then once again would say later on, well, I do this thing regularly. And would set up this man-made tradition or man-made idea that people that fall, you know, they, they, they don't do this thing regularly, and I do this thing a lot. And that's what these Pharisees did, right? They said, well, I'm a good person because, you know, I do all these rituals. I keep all these things. I worship God the way the Bible says to worship God in the Old Testament. I keep the law as much as it could be kept. And they set up these man-made traditions, and they said, look at all the things we do. God must be pleased with us. All the while, their hearts are just corrupt, right? When, when it comes to the weightier matters of the law, Jesus says, they completely forgot those and negated those and, and left people poor and destitute and, and, and were mean and rude and, and were not trying to keep the weightier matters of the law of justice and judgment and love, but rather these small things that they deemed as important. This crowd, let's see here, Matthew, 5, Matthew 15, 8 through 9 says, speaking of them, it says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And I'm not an expert in it by any stretch of the imagination, but Jewish people have uh, just lots and lots and lots and lots of writings of the law, the Torah, right, the first uh, few books of the Bible. And there's lots of writings from different Pharisees and uh, religious leaders, and they study those more than they study the law sometimes. They read those. I sat next to a uh, rabbinical Jew on an airplane uh, a couple years ago now. And he was, I think he was like 19 or 20, he was a younger guy. And he was reading a book. It wasn't, you know, and he was studying this book, but it was a writing. And it's not bad to read writings about the scripture uh, by any stretch. But that becomes more of what they follow is the traditions that were set up from the scripture rather than the scripture itself. And so this is who Jesus is addressing here. Also, it speaks of, in the New Testament, we see this word worship. It speaks of the pagan worship of the Gentiles to gods like Diana, Jupiter, and to idols and such things. John 4.23 says, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. We're in the New Testament. Jesus Christ has died. The, the, 
the veil of the temple has been rent. We have access to God. We can come boldly before the throne of grace. We have no need to go to a priest because we are in ourselves priests, right? We believe in the priesthood of the believer, and Jesus is the high priest. So we no longer need to seek for a place where God has put his presence to worship. It is now within us as the believer. We can worship God wherever. We don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to go to, to Mecca or some other location, right? Uh, we don't need to go. There was a discrepancy here, as we'll get into maybe in a little bit, but there's a discrepancy between the Samaritans and the Jews. More than just uh, their, uh, how their um, heritage and their lineage, but also where they worship. The Jews obviously worshiped in Jerusalem, and the uh, Samaritans worshiped on a different mountain. I don't remember what it was called, and I probably would butcher how it's said, so I'll just... Um, not say it. Anyways, but they would worship on this other mountain. And so that's what, Je- that's what this lady's talking to Jesus about. She says, hey, like, you know, we worship here. And the Jews say, you know, worship's only done at this place, right? And Jesus says, well, the Jews are right. because Salvation comes from the Jews, right? Because he is the salvation that came from the Jews. But we see here, we no, lo- we don't, we no longer as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as those that are saved, need to, need to search for or go to this temple to worship God or go to this holy place, right? It is within us. First Corinthians uh, six well-known verse says what know ye not that your body is the temple of the holy ghost which is in you which ye have of god and ye are not your own for ye are bought with a price therefore glorify god and the kin word to worshiping glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's worship is done in spirit we can worship with our spirit in the holy spirit worship can be worship can be done in the power of the flesh just like anything else that is good in the Christian life, oftentimes we can do these things in the flesh, in our own merit, in our own way. But if we're led by the Holy Spirit, that is the best. Worship can be done in the power of the flesh. We need to make sure our worship is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So worship is done in spirit. Worship is also done in truth. Jesus is attacking both positions of worship by saying worship will be done in spirit and in truth. The Jew, they turned worship into acts of traditions, right? And so you got to go here, you got to do this thing. And Jesus says, no, we're going to worship in spirit. You're gonna, you can worship in your heart, in your life, in your body. And then the Samaritans, they worshiped in error. There were several books of the Bible that they did not deem or they didn't read, they didn't uh, put in their scripture. And so they did not worship properly uh, as the way God had desired for those uh, in the Old Testament to worship. And so he's saying, hey, this crowd over here, this, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, this religious sect of Jews, uh, you're incorrect because we're going we're gonna to worship in spirit. And this Samaritan group, uh, the way you worship, we're, gonna, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to worship in truth. Like we're going we're gonna to get the best of what God has for us. We're going to worship in our lives, in our hearts. And it doesn't matter where we're at. We, we don't have to go to some temple. We don't have to follow some traditionalism set up by this Jewish elect, elite, religious crowd. But we're also going to do it the right way, the way God desires worship to be done. We worship by giving glory to God. 1 Corinthians 6, we read that verse already, but it talks about how we... Um, Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Revelation 14, 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Worship is glorifying God for who he is and what he has done. Next, we worship by living a holy life. First uh, Chronicles 16 says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. 
This Psalms 29 is, a, is a, written at a very similar time. It says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalms 29. Psalms 96 9 says, oh, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. A friend of a family, he wrote a song, uh, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's the name of the song. Uh, he got it from the Bible. And, uh, so not really original title. But, um, and it's a really beautiful song. It's a good song. And it just uh, talks about worshiping God and our service and our life are the ways we worship God. Worship was done at a temple or a place of a tabernacle where God dwelt. But now we are that place that God dwells, as we saw in 1 Corinthians. A way to show our submission and service, which is worship to Jesus, is to live a life holy that is pleasing to him. Jews were to worship at a holy place and in a holy manner. May our bodies be a holy place worthy of of the holy manner in which we are to worship. Paul says to this church at Corinth, like, you, you do, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? He's speaking of sexual sins here. He's like, you got to abstain from these things. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and that Holy Ghost is in you, which is in you, and you were given it of God, which you have of God. For you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, when you see a therefore, you got to see what it's there for, right? We just read those things, right? Therefore... Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So may our lives, may our bodies, the thing, this, this vessel we have, the actions that it does, the things it, it does, the things we see, the things we hear, the things we say, may it be the holy place. Right? We, we look at the temple, it was a very holy place, it was a consecrated place. Many rituals surrounding the cleanliness and the keeping of the temple and the tabernacle. But when it comes to today, we don't go to a tabernacle, we are the tabernacle, we are the temple of, the, of God. So may our lives, may our bodies, the things we allow in, the things that come out, may they be holy so that way when we go to worship God, when we do holy things, when we come to come before God in a holy manner, we come in a holy temple, in a place that God desires and, and, and accepts. Practical thoughts on how do we worship. Worship must be done from the heart and not the motions we go through. Oftentimes we call, and it's in a lot of circles, but we call like the Sunday morning service a worship service or we have worship music or praise and worship music and all these things. We kind of label, this is how you worship, right? This is, this is step into this type of worship. And that's fine if somebody feels like they're worshiping God in that, and they, they are, that's, that's, up, that's between them and the Lord. But worship must be done from the heart and not motions we go through. We are not to traditionalize worship, put it in a box and say, this is how it's done. All right, we got to look at the Bible. What's the Bible saying? Worship music has done this. There's only one verse that I could find, there may be more, and, and an argument could be made that, much of worship and speaking of it is in the Psalms and is, those are songs. But when it comes to like correlating the two of music and worship, uh, there's only one verse, and there may be more, but there's only one verse that I could find that has anything to do with music and worship. It talks about worship and singing. It's um, kind of separate thoughts, but in the same idea or the same verse. Some songs can be worshipful, but most are not. That's just not how they're not, they're not, not that they're bad, but some songs are specifically glorifying and worshiping God for who he is. Other songs are giving a testimony and uh, a praise to God, right? There's different, different types of songs. Some are worshipful. Some are just not meant for that purpose. That's not what they were made for. Church services are not necessarily worship. You may worship at a church service, but preaching isn't worship. Reading the scripture isn't worship. Singing isn't worship. Fellowship with other believers isn't worship. We all too often put worship in a box as things we do in church or with other believers, when most frequently it should be done between you and Jesus. This is the thing that we, we come to Jesus, we worship him. Can we worship 
God with other believers? Of course we can. But this should be the thing that we regularly, regularly do by ourselves and come before God and worship him for who he is. May it be far from us. Now, this is a tragedy. I think it's really, it really is a shame. I, I know in my own life. But may it be far from us that pagan worshipers are more devout and worshipful of their gods than we are of ours. We see, you know, these Muslims, and they're just, they're very, very devout and adamant about certain times of the day, getting their rug out, bowing towards Mecca, and going through their ritualism of, of, of worship to nobody, right? To nobody. Right? Their God is false. Right? Allah, which I understand is just a, another uh, term for God, but the God they believe in is not Jesus, right? That's, that's who we believe in. We believe in Jesus Christ. That's who we worship completely. Uh, that, that's who we come before. We, we worship Jesus, they do not. So that you can say all day long, well, Allah is just another name for God. Well, that's okay, but Jesus is my God. So if, unless you worship the man who walked the, walked the earth 2,000 years ago, lived 33 years, died on a cross, rose again, uh, saw over 500 people, right, and then ascended to heaven, unless you're worshiping that guy, you're not worshiping the same God that I worship. But we come to, we come to the Muslims and, and other religions as well, Buddhism, Hinduism, right, they worship their gods, they worship their deities, ancestral prayers, right, in some of our Asian, other Asian cultures. And we come to Christianity sometimes, and we're just, we just, we, we, don't, we don't partake in that type of worship. Not the ritualism of it, but the time to take and worship our God. And truly just come before him in awe. And whether in the heart or in physical form, bowing ourselves down in the awe of God and his magnitude. And then serving him out of that. So maybe far from us as Christians, if it, in my life I know... As something you need to be more cognizant of and to take more time to do specifically to just worship God. Worship is done in the heart and turns into an outward expression of submission to God in spirit. Worship must be done in the way God wants us to worship him in truth. I think it is most appro appropriate to bow in a time of worship. We see that as the, the word is, is very clear that that's uh, what it means, right? To physically bow down to uh, get down in front of somebody that you're submitting to as to worship them. You can pray anywhere, anyway, you can sing anyway, but it's good to worship bowing. Can you worship in your car, of course, or walking or doing other activities maybe that um, you pay less attention to? Some of you pay less attention driving than others. But, of course, you can do those things. But to take the time to physically submit yourself to your king and be in a position of worship is best. We look at other cultures other times, right, we don't bow to our president, right, because we're Americans and we're free, right? We put him there, all right, or other people put him there, right? Uh, but, you know, we don't, we don't bow to our king, but we would respect him. But other cultures, like, you, you bow to the, I remember we went to Africa and there was a chief and a sub-chief and their family, and, you know, we, we brought them gifts. And other cultures, you bow to, uh, even just uh, common people, right, you, you, make, you bow and uh, make that um, action, but... Oh, that we would take time, and we some, because we don't see God, we don't have a physical form of him, so we don't think to bow to that. We shouldn't bow to creation, bow to things he made, but to worship him in spirit and in truth. Who do we worship? Only Jesus. Exodus 20, chapter 3 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Once again, just making a correlation there of when you, when you bow down yourself, when you submit, when you worship, what happens? Service to that thing, right? Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them or nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. This word bow down here, thou shalt not bow down thyself. Same word for worship. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Name of Jesus. Philippians 2 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, worship, make obeisance, bow of things in heaven and things in earth, everything, right? Things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Matthew 4, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, right? Jesus being tempted by Satan, 40 days in the wilderness, Satan comes with bread, comes, takes to the pinnacle of the earth, right? And what's Jesus say? For it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Once again, service is attached to worship. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to worship him and him alone. This brings glory to God the Father as well. That is who we should worship. We might finish on time. This is good. Why do we worship? So all goes back to the word itself, worship. Because Jesus is worthy of our worship. Allah is not worthy of their worship. They think he is. Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad... On and on and on, you can go down the list of any other person, right? Because there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other name that all of heaven, all the angels, every being will bow down. The, the worst person in the world, the person who thinks they're there's the farthest atheist from ever believing in God, everybody who's ever existed in this world and in the one we can't see will bow down. And will not only bow down, but will proclaim that Jesus is Christ is Lord. Because he is worthy. Revelation 4. Thou art worthy, O Lord. And Revelation sometimes is a tough book, right? It's a lot of intriguing things. And there's not a lot of references made to Revelation. But when it comes to praising and worshiping Jesus, there's a lot of it going on in Revelation. And we know what Revelation is, right? That's, that's the future. There's going to be a lot of this going on in the future. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What makes Jesus worthy? He is the creator. Turn to uh, Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter number 5. And we'll read a few verses here. Great portion of scripture on the worthiness and worship of Jesus Christ. I will read it and read it quickly. I know you're probably thinking you read all the verses quickly. I don't know how you can get more quickly, but I will attempt to. What makes Jesus worthy? We'll see in Revelation 5, verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written with, within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said and saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, 
And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou hast that was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. One of my favorite songs. Just joking. Um, but is he worthy? Is he worthy? He is. Right? Thou art worthy. What makes Jesus worthy of our worship? Well, he's the creator. By him all things consist. Without him was not anything made that was made, right? But also because he died for us. He saved us. He redeemed us. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Creation, all of creation, you and me, the plants, the animals, the stars, the planets, everything was created to glorify God. This is our purpose. This is the, what God has created us for. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation was made to glorify God. Some thoughts on why we worship. Worship fulfills our role as God's creation. Worshiping Jesus will be the eternal theme of heaven. What will go on in heaven? What will we do? We will worship Jesus. We will fulfill what God has created us for. What was broken by sin, what was separated by sin... Now we'll be rectified completely, and we can worship Jesus. But we can do that today because we're saved. So in conclusion, what is worship? To worship God is to bow down before God in adoring contemplation, contemplation of himself. To come before him, to even praise him for who he is. One of the things that, is, that separates our God, Yahweh, Jesus, from all the others is that he is the creator. He created everything from nothing. In the beginning, God created. And that word created means created out of nothing. Spoke it into existence. This is what our goal in life is. This is why we were created, to worship God, to come before him, to revere him, to try to understand, to put into our minds what God is, who he is. And to just be in awe of that. To come before him as our king, as our lord, as our master. That's what worship is. I think we need to take time to do those things, though. It's not something that we should be like, oh, that's a good thought. We should worship Jesus more. But time in our day where we are thinking about how awesome Jesus is. How awesome our God is. Just in the little things in life and the big things in life. And how great he is. And how powerful he is. And how awesome and amazing he is. How do we worship? Submitting to God and serving him. Like I said, many, many times in scripture we see bowing down and asking the person we're bowing down to, what do I need to, how do I serve you? What, Joshua calls himself the servant of this, this, this uh, angel of the Lord. We come to uh, many places in scripture. There's worship done and then there's service that follows it. That's how we do worship. Who do we worship? Jesus and him alone. And why do we worship him? Because Jesus is worthy of our worship. That's what the word means. That's why it was chosen to represent what this thought and idea was. Because the worth that Jesus has is so great. And he is worthy of our time 
of our worship, of our reverence, of our bowing down, whether in your heart or physically to him. And he's worthy of that. He is the king. He is the creator. He is all in all, alpha and omega, right? And he is worthy of our worship. Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the great day you've given to us. Thank you for saving us. And although we were separated from you by sin, you made a path so that we could complete our purpose in life, complete the reason for you creating us, and that is to worship you, to praise you, to glorify you, to join in the rest of creation, to glorify God. Lord, may we maybe examine our lives and our hearts today that are we worshiping you? Are we standing in awe of your presence? Do we take time to physically, to spiritually worship you, to think of your magnitude, to think of your kingship, your lordship over our lives? And then, Lord, do we take that worship in true worship and present our lives to you, a living sacrifice to do whatever you would have us to do and serve you out of our worship? And I pray that each one of us would examine our hearts today, examine our lives and time that we spend are we spending time worshiping you? Because, Lord, you are worthy. Thank you for Gospel Light Baptist Church and the people who faithfully attend a great crowd tonight, Lord. I thank you so much for these people and their willingness and people who do truly serve you with their lives. And uh, We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for the Wednesday Night Warriors uh, program that's continuing those children, what they learn there. We ask that you bless it. Give us a safe uh, travel home this evening and as we return Sunday. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.